Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. We are in week five of our series called Revolution. And my goal, I have been um, just upfront as to what my goal is really through this, this whole series. There's seven weeks, so we've officially rounded second. We're getting ready to slide into third. And then we will um, be uh, going into the home stretch here in the next couple weeks in uh, week six and seven. But through all of these weeks, uh, I have said that the purpose is, is that the Lord would stir up in us just a revolution within our soul individually. Not pointing out other people's problems, other people's faults, but the Lord would do a work on us and there would cause up a revolution within us, a revival within our soul. And that I believe with all of me that if, if that were to take place, that it would bring healing to the whole. Now the whole, you know, is fill in the blank. It's your workplace. Yes, there could be healing in your workplace. You know, it, it's, it's in your home. It's in your marriage. It's in raising your kids. It's in all of those things. But it starts with us. It starts with us. I want to start this morning with a story that uh, you've probably heard this. It happened a couple years ago. It actually happened in 2011. And there, uh, in, in that year, in the state of Texas, everything's bigger in Texas, apparently, right? Um, oh, we live in Georgia. Never mind. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't actually acknowledge that. But the governor of Texas, he got on publicly, like just as public as it gets. And he got up and he stood at a platform and he basically called out to the whole state of Texas. And he asked that the Lord would intervene and that the Lord would bring rain. They were in a drought. They had actually, it was like the worst drought they had had in like a hundred years and decades and decades and decades. And the governor of Texas stands up 2011 with just a pure conviction of saying, we all need to go to the Lord in prayer for rain. For rain. I mean, can he do that? I mean, can he do that, church? You know? It's like he goes and they're in a drought. It's burned a couple million acres. Million acres. People have died. Over 400 homes have been burned up. And he realized that the situation was so dire and he was so desperate. The only thing that they could do in that state as he calls the people together in a season of prayer for rain. For rain because of the drought. This is exactly what he said. He says, I urge Texans of all faiths and traditions to offer prayers on that, on that day. It's a period of three days. For the healing of our land, the rebuilding of our communities, and the restoration of our, of our normal way of life. We all agree that he can do that, but why don't we see that more? Why don't we see that more? Where he would, anybody of any position would stand in front of people, accountable to the people, accountable to what he's saying, and, and invite God's blessing into a situation. You see, he got something that I think all of us need to understand. Is, if you want to be blessed by God, you need to Get in the way of God's blessing. If you want to be blessed by God, you have to get in the way of God's blessing. You can't just continue to do the same thing that you've always done and and think that all of a sudden, because I want to be blessed by God, that now all of a sudden I'm going to be. As a matter of fact, the third step into personal revival, first step was 
that we would be so dissatisfied with ourselves, not with the other people, but ourselves, and that we would sit back and realize our desperate situation, and that we'd be so dissatisfied with ourselves and with our situation that we would know something needs to change. Last week, I said the second step was that we need to set our face, and I use these, these terms like flint, toward a sweeping transformation in our life. That we just need to be so set like Jesus when he was going towards Jerusalem, knowing that what would happen on the cross, knowing the benefit, the, the benefit that we would reap from the cross, and yet Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem and he did it anyway. Amen? And he did that. And he, and he set the example that in, for all of us, the second step to personal revival is if you really want change, if you really want revival, if you really want blessing, you need to set your face toward a sweeping transformation in your life. And the third thing, today's thing, is if you want blessing, you need to put yourself in the way of God's blessing. You need to put yourself in the way of God's blessing. What's really interesting, and through my studies for this series, is our country has known this all along. As a matter of fact, before we were a nation, we were doing this. You didn't know that, did you? Before we were actually, before, you know, Declaration of Independence, Constitution, and all those great things, Founding Fathers, before that happened, I, there, was, there was a ball rolling that was that was helping to inform the Founding Fathers and the people in their generation and the generation prior that if you want to be blessed by God, that you've got to get in the way of God's blessing. As a matter of fact, if, if you go back to a fellow by the name of John Adams, anyone ever heard that name? John Adams, kind of like the, he was like the, the visionary, the, he was kind of like the vision caster for freedom in the founding of our nation. He attributed something that happened in the 1730s and 40s to the revolution. There was this, this first great awakening that was happening in England and happening in America. And some amazing things. And God was doing incredible things in people's lives. Not just in preachers' lives and not just in, in just the church, but it was the church and, and with the, the proclamation of the word and people were receiving the word and the Holy Spirit was doing a work that all of a sudden the church was being the church. And it was actually meeting social needs in the communities. And it was the first great awakening. Now, if there was a first great awakening, what do you think came after that? The second great awakening. Come on, that was, that was an easy one there. I teed it up for you. And this first great awakening, John Adams says, you know what? There was something that was churning in people's hearts and they started dreaming and having this idea of a nation that was governed by God's law. Because he knew, not that I knew him, but judging by what I've read and what I've studied, is that he knew that a nation, if a nation wanted to be blessed by God, you have to get in the way of God's blessing. It doesn't come by accident. And then as you continue about 90 years forward, Something had happened in 1864. Now, none of us were here in 1864, so I'll tell you what that was. 1864 was the first, bit at the first time, to where on, on American coins, the words, in God we trust, was put on their coins. Now, it, because I've thought about you, and, and because I want a large uh, Christmas gift from you, I want you to look under your chairs, because there's a penny um, under all of your chairs... Now, nobody's too proud to grab a penny. Come on now. 
Please get those pennies. I took those out of my kid's piggy bank, so. Yeah, yeah. We're going to pass the plate later and get all of those. Um, kids got to go to college. But in 1864, the first coin was stamped out that said, In God We Trust. And there was, there, the, actually, the, the treasury secretary, right? So he was the money man. We'll just call him the money man. He, he started to get these letters, and people started talking about, amidst, amidst the most divisive and most difficult thing that our country has ever seen, the most difficult thing that has ever happened on American soil, the Civil War, 1864, it's just, it's rocking and rolling at this point. I mean, the Civil War, there's, there's unrest and people, brother against brother. And all of a sudden, the Treasury Secretary starts getting letters and he starts hearing of these people, these religious people, and saying, we want a representation of the deity of God on our coins. People from the north, people from the south. Started to get passed around these letters and there started to be going through all this hardship and now there's this, this religious spirit and upheaval going on and Christ is doing a work in our country. In 1864, the most divisive thing that has ever happened in our country. And yet, the Treasury Secretary, because he was led by the people, knew that we as a country if we want to be in the way of God's blessing, we've got to get ourselves under God's blessing. We can't just continue to do our own thing. And yet, even, and that's lasted through all these years, and now all of the coins that you have in your hand, they all say it, don't they? And as a matter of fact, because I'm an overachiever, one of the chairs has a dime under it. Woo! It really does. And yet, if you would fast forward another 90 years. In 1956. Now, didn't have to do these things. You know, the country didn't have to do these things, but they understood something that we need to understand in our culture, in our day. That we need to be intentional to put ourselves in the way of God's blessing. But in 1956, Dwight D. Eisenhower, then, because of it was things that were happening in Congress, and all of this, Dwight D. Eisenhower passed a law that our national motto would be what? In God we trust. See, this is something that's been a common thread since the founding of our country. They say, us as a people, understanding that we're all different. Land of the free, home of the brave. Right? But yet, for us to have the basis of that, it requires us to get in the way of God's blessing. And I, I don't know about you, but I've been to other parts of the country. And I've been to other parts of the world. And everywhere else I've been in the country, I'm free. I can do what I want to do, for the most part. And yet, when, I go, when I've gone to other countries, I realize that, you know what? They just don't have the same level of blessing that we do. That has nothing to do with politics. That has everything to do with us as a nation, as people. As people putting ourselves in the way of God's blessing. You know, there was somebody in the Bible, it's actually 2 Chronicles 6 is where we're going to be. 2 Chronicles 6. 
And there was somebody in the Bible who totally understood this. You know, I've, I've kind of mapped out over the last two weeks that, that I have taught. I talked about a guy by the name of Hezekiah, who was like one of the good kings, and then Josiah, who was really young. He, he, he became king when he was eight years old, but he was a good king as well. And the king that's going to be mentioned here is actually before those kings. And this is when, as, a, as the nation of Israel, in this time, everything's going well. They've got money. They've got no enemy at the gates. They've got no one outside the, the city of Jerusalem waiting to come in to pummel them. There's no opposition to speak of. Everything's going well. These are the glory days of the nation of Israel. And yet, even in that situation, Solomon knew that the way that he was supposed to govern and the thing that we should learn today is that if we want to be blessed by God, we need to get in the way of God's blessing. We need to get in the way. Now this is about the 10th century um, before Jesus, before Christ, just to give you some historical context. And we're going to jump right into, it seems it's conversation that he's having with, with basically the nation of Israel. So he's the, he's the king, he's the leader. As a matter of fact, we know in other places, he's not perfect, by the way. He's not perfect. He's made a ton of mistakes. And, and you literally can go through, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, he pretty much wrote down all the things that he learned about himself and all the things that he thought he understood but he really didn't understand. In Ecclesiastes, he kind of maps out several chapters. In Ecclesiastes, maps out all the things that he has learned and the things that he's done wrong. But yet, he's the wisest man to ever live on earth. So whoever you think is the wisest person on earth, he's more wise. Whoever you think is the most wealthy person on earth, he was more wealthy. And truthfully, he was more powerful than any president that we've ever had. So he pretty much had things figured out. He didn't have to do what he's going to do. Because as a, as, a, as a bystander, you'd sit back and look at him and say, wow, he's pretty much got the cat by the tail. He can do whatever he wants to do. But yet he understood, and we're going to see this, he, that he understood that the only way that they could be blessed as a people is if they get their self and he, as a leader, puts them in the way of God's blessing. So he's standing before the people. They've got no enemies at the gates. These are the glory days. It's good times. It's like JJ. You know, no temporary layoffs here, though. It's good times. And everything's going well. We're going to jump right into the, into the conversation he's having publicly. In verse 10. He says, the Lord has kept the promise he made. I have succeeded David, my father, and now I sit on the throne of Israel, just as the Lord promised. And I have built the temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. There I have placed the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with the people of Israel. Verse 12. Then Solomon, get this. He stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel. So I kind of envision this, that at first he's, he's speaking to the people, but he, he's, not, he's not standing on a platform or anything. He's just kind of standing to the people, but he's the king, and people listen when the king speaks. So he's standing there, but then there's a transition that happens in verse 12. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel and spread out his hands, 
Now he had made a bronze platform, five cubits, is about 30 feet, 30 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 15 feet high. And he had it placed in the center of the outer court. And he stood on the platform, and look what he did next. As he stands on the platform, get this, he's the king. Everybody's looking around at the king. And as he gets ready to get up on this this 15-foot high platform in front of the people, and all the people are looking at him, look what he does. It says, Then he knelt down before the whole assembly of Israel, and he spread out his hands toward heaven. Wow. The king. He's the person that everybody else bowed down to. And he stands before the nation of Israel in a way physically to show what his heart is doing and the condition of his heart. But he physically, he kneels down before the assembly in a way of of symbolically showing them, hey, the way that we are going to be blessed by God is if we bow ourselves before Almighty God. That's the only way. And he doesn't even say it. He just does it. That's leading by example. He just does it. And he kneels down and he opens his hand up. Can you imagine what the crowd felt? Can you imagine? You know, like you've been in those moments when something surprising happens and, and it seems like air just leaves that space. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Can you imagine what that was like? Thousands of people before him. He's the king. You're supposed to honor the king, and the king sits, or stands rather, up on this platform, and he says, you know what? I'm going to honor the king of kings. Because I want to be under God's blessing, and I want us as a nation to be under God's blessing. Look what he says next. Verse 14. He says, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. Who You who keep your covenant and love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised, and with your hand you have fulfilled it as it is today. See, he's reflecting upon God's faithfulness. And he's sitting back and he's, he's doing this publicly. In a way that he's... He's praying to God, but he's, he's praying it in an open form in front of all the people. That would be so humiliating for some. But yet for a guy like me, that's very compelling. That a leader would stand on a, on a platform, national platform, stand before, even on this platform, and proclaim truth. But you know what's also that compelling? When a student does that in high school. When a student's sitting there at lunchtime, and their friends are gossiping about somebody else, and, and they're, they're dogging their teacher, and all of these things, and they're talking about the, you know, you hear all the, the, the scattered conversation about all the partying that's going on on a Friday or Saturday. You know, that's very compelling. When, when a godly teenager goes forth and says, you know what, you don't have to live that way. You don't have to talk that way. You know what else is compelling? When a husband, the man of the home, gets up and says, you know what, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's compelling. That's getting in the way of God's blessing. You know what's compelling? 
when a mom goes and she loves her kids and when a mom goes in and the child's been crying for like three days straight and a mom just keeps going in there and you know what, she's exhausted, she's tired but yet she knows that she has been put in that situation to love on that child and that's her primary responsibility and she goes in and she rocks that little baby crying as it may be. That's compelling. Because you know what? God has put all of us in unique situations. And he wants us to do what Solomon did here. You know, he has this big forum. But you know what? It's compelling when somebody just takes a stand for truth. Isn't it? Isn't that compelling for you? When somebody just stands up with a conviction of what they believe. And they say, you know what? We are going to do things differently. And I want to put my life and my family's lives under God's blessing and get in the way of it. So he's praying. David is, is reminding them of God's faithfulness. The thing that God had promised in 2 Samuel chapter 7, that there, would, that there would be someone on the throne of David, even long after David. There's going to be somebody on the throne. And Solomon sits back, and Solomon is David's son. Like I said, he's not perfect. But he gets up and he's, he's reminding the people of God's faithfulness. And he's praising and honoring God in this prayer by just exalting God and, and telling God that he appreciates his faithfulness. And yet as he continues this prayer, we're going to jump ahead to verse 22. He's, he's praying publicly, but it's in front of all the people. In verse 22, it says... And now he, he's, he's asking specifically, now get this, he, the leader of the nation of Israel in this time, he's the king. He's now asking for that blessing for the people. He's asking not just for a blessing for himself or just a country, but as individuals in that nation. And he's praying and interceding on other people's behalf. He says, when a man wrongs his neighbor and is required to take an oath, and he comes and he swears the oath before your altar in this temple. Then hear from heaven and act. In our context, this would be when a follower of Jesus stops caring and loving, their, you know, loving for their neighbor as himself. But when a follower of Jesus just kind of continues and, and then instead of loving outward, starts just to only care about their own concerns. And Solomon says, Lord, would you hear their prayers when they return to you? Would you hear their prayers from heaven and act on their behalf? He continues in verse 24. He says, when your people Israel have been defeated by an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn back and confess your name, praying and making supplication before you in this temple... Verse 25, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land you gave to them and their fathers. He says, when the people have turned their back on you, when these people are a blessed people and they, and they turn their back on you and instead of recognizing that God is the blesser and that He gives the blessing, but when they chase worthless idols and when they chase idolatry, Solomon says, if they would just change their hearts and they come back and they pray to you, will you accept their prayer? Will you make them back, will you bring them back to fellowship with you? Another way of saying this is when a country forgets the very fabric from which it was cut, when a country 
You know, and I'm not trying to draw a direct connection between the nation of Israel and the United States of America. It's not the same. It's not. Because we're not all, we're not all Christians in this country. However, um, if you look at the polls, and it's right around this number, about 70 pe- 70% of people in this country, and the polls a couple years old, claim to be Christians in this country. 70% doesn't really make sense to me because when I sit back and think about the condition of our culture and the ways uh, and the things that I see politically, it doesn't look like the majority of the people in this country are believers in Jesus Christ. I mean, maybe that's just me, but I just I see some inconsistencies there. And yet we have to understand as a church, not just this church, but the church, the grand church, the universal church that exists in the world today We have to understand that we as a people are supposed to be united as one. And if there are 70%, 60%, even 50% of people in this country who are followers of Jesus Christ, then we obviously have a way and we, we have the potential if we would simply turn away from our sin and from away from our wickedness and we would go back to Almighty God, maybe we would reap the benefits of the prayers of Solomon in this text. When a nation drifts away, when they forget how great it is to be blessed by God, and they think they can do it themselves. See, I believe with all of me, I believe that, that you individually and us as a country, there's a huge Christian presence here. We simply need to be Christians. Now, by that, I mean more than just taking a poll and you know, what's your religious affiliation? It's being Christians. It's loving your neighbor as yourself. It's loving the Lord Jesus with, with all your heart and all your soul and all your spirit and all your mind. That's the way you get in the way of God's blessing. Verse 26. There's another part. He says, When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you, and when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you have afflicted them, then, he says, hear from heaven and forgive the sin of of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live and send rain on the land that you gave your people for an inheritance. So, you see, there is a direct consequence for sin. In, In their day and age, If the people were so sinful, God literally withheld the rain. I'm not drawing a connection with holding the rain in the state of Texas. That's not my point. But yet, we see this consistent with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. That when they would do things wrong, God quickly reminded them, Hey, I am the God of provision. I am the God of provision. And God constantly, there was this this pulling and this tension with the nation of Israel because they kept trying to walk away from Him. And God would always plead with them, as as what you're going to see later in this text. He's pleading with them. And as Solomon goes before them and he says, I want us to be blessed as a people. But he understood that people were going to tend to walk away. He understood that the nation was going to tend to divide. Not just this nation, but the nation of Israel. He knew that those things were going to happen. So he pleads on their behalf and he prays on their behalf with himself before all these people publicly. On his knees with his hands out to Almighty God. And he says, even when people make a mess of themselves... Would you hear their prayer if they just turned back to you? 
Would you hear the prayer if they just turned back to you? Understanding you don't have to be perfect. See, the work of Jesus is, is really a, a wonderful one because you're not perfect, but you're being perfected by His Holy Spirit. You're in the process. You may sit back and say, you know what, you don't know the things I've done. That's true. But in God's eyes, that's no different than the things that I've done. You may sit back and say, you know what, I've made an absolute mess of my life. How in the world can I get in the way of God's blessing? It's real simple. Ask God. It's real simple. Go before Him just the way that Solomon is going before his people and he's pleading on their behalf and he's interceding on their behalf and he's saying, you know what, I want... I don't want to just be blessed by God. I want us all to be blessed by God. So he's giving you the prescription and he keeps saying it over and over and over again. You hear these words, confession, turning, asking, seeking. That's the way you get in God's blessing. You ask for it. You long for it. You yearn for it. It's the reason why it follows up the the fact that we're supposed to set our face like flint toward a sweeping transformation in our life. And now the next level is that we need to get in the way of God's blessing. Solomon understood this. He continues. He says in verse 28, when famine or plague comes to the land or blight or mildew, I don't even know what that is, but um, something about maybe you guys have had a, uh, you know, a, the, the plague of mildew at your house. I'm not really sure. Um, locust or grasshoppers or when enemies besiege them and all of their cities whatever disaster or disease may come and when a prayer or plea is made by any of your people Israel any of God's people any Christians today in our context he says each one aware of his afflictions sins and pains and spreading out his hands toward this temple then hear from heaven your dwelling place forgive and and deal with each man according to all he does since you know his heart and look what it says in parentheses for you alone know the hearts of men so that they will fear you and walk in your ways all the time they live in the land you gave our fathers even when you go through hard times. And when, when, when people go through hard times and they've brought it on themselves. Or there's consequences for, for, for a sin, that, or something that has happened, a transgression, something that, that a husband or wife has brought into the home and there's sin rampant in the home. He goes through and he says, and when the consequences come, he uses the words famine and plague. But when the consequences for those sins happen, in a greater context. He says, if the people will humble themselves and pray, and they will, they will put themselves on their knees before you, and they'll put their hands out before you, and they ask you, and they plead with their whole heart, will you hear their prayers? Verse 32. He says, as for the foreigner. That would be us. He's praying for us. As for the foreigner, who does not belong to your people Israel but has come from a distant land because of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays towards this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and do whatever the foreigner asks you so that, get this, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your own people Israel and may know that this house I have built bears your name. 
So Solomon says, yeah, I'm the king, but I just want you to know, and he's letting all these people know, I, I may be the king, but I am just simply trying to set an example for you to follow. See, he could have prayed this prayer privately. He could have. He could have, he could have gone into his chambers, he could have gone into his palace and prayed this prayer, and God would have heard that prayer. And yet, think of the example that he's setting on a, on a grander scale about the importance of putting yourself in the way of God's blessing. And he goes through and he even prays for us. He says, and, he, and all the people are going to hear the good news of Jesus later. I'm praying for them. Because as it continues, in verse 36, he says, when they sin against you, verse 36, when they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and give them over to the enemy who takes them captive to a land far away or near. And if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive, and repent, means turn away, and plead with you in the land of their captivity and say, we have sinned. So they're acknowledging the sin. He's saying, okay, here's the prescription to get in the way of God's blessing. You have to have a change of heart. You have to repent. We'll talk more about that later in this series. And he says, and they plead with you in the land of their captivity. So they pray. But this is not just a prayer, not just a, a pithy prayer. This is a, this is a gut-wrenching prayer to Almighty God. Ex- just accepting the responsibility of your sin and your transgressions before God. He says, if they go before you, and if they're honest, and they really look into their own heart and understand just just a hint of their own wickedness and sin. And he says in verse, at the end of verse 37, that they say, we have sinned and we have done wrong and acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with their heart and soul in the land of their captivity, where they were taken, and pray toward the land, of, or the land that you gave their fathers, toward the city you have chosen, and toward the temple I have built for your name. Then from heaven, your dwelling place, Hear their prayer and their pleas and uphold their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. So surely you could have heard a pin drop. The moment that he stopped speaking, just the weight of his words. And yet the people saw that he was a man of God, that he didn't hide it in the palace. He didn't hide it behind some administration. He stood up on a platform of which he's responsible for building. Bronze platform. I'm so envious. Mine's carpeted. But he stands on the platform, captures all their attention, and he prays this this lengthy prayer of which the people were likely hanging on every word that he said. And yet something amazing happens In chapter 7, verse 1, something amazing happens. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. This is supernatural, folks. So all of a sudden, he's done praying. He's probably trying to recover. 
And in an instant, when he finishes praying, fire comes from heaven, literally comes from heaven into the temple. And it was a way of, it was a way of God communicating with his people. I have heard your prayers. I've heard your prayers. They did not go silent. And it consumed the burnt offerings, which means that the, the prayers were enough. That it consumed the offerings. And yet, this supernatural work, and the people are probably in awe and trying to figure out, whoa, I mean, this guy's like really in touch with God. How do I do this? You know, you talk about getting in the way of God's blessing. They just saw the, the work of God. Is anybody just hungry to see the work of God in their life today? Anybody thirsty for that? Anybody hungry for that? I mean, are we all, do we just want the status quo, just keep going the same way that we're going? Wonder why we're all stressed out? Wonder why we have anxiety? Wonder why our marriage is a wreck? Wonder why our relationships are a wreck? You wonder why that is? It's because you haven't asked for God's blessing. That's why. And yet it's difficult because you can, you can ask for God's blessing in one area, and it seems like God's blessing in one area, but yet you can be totally negligent in another area. And yet what I love about Solomon's prayer is he pretty much, he expands all the horizons of all the deficiency of the nation of Israel in his own heart. He says, a famine comes, hard times come, people sin against each other. When the, when the country walks away from you, he sets up all these scenarios, but yet the prescription for all of them is this, humility before God, confession of sin before God, and repentance away from your sinful act. That was the prescription for all of it. And this is the same thing with us. No matter what, what the tension is in your life, and if you're stressed out, and your marriage is a wreck, and your kids are running wild, and all these things. You know, we all go through stages in life. No one is perfect. No one is perfect. Amen? Can we say amen twice to that? Nobody's perfect. We all are a work in progress. All of us. And yet we need to be purposeful to get in the way of God's blessing. And the worst thing that could happen today, the very worst thing that could happen today, is for you to come in and that you would hear the words that I have, have tried to teach this morning, and for you to walk out and do the same thing that you've been doing. Because if you're stressed out, you know you're stressed out. If you know your family's a wreck, you're living with that reality, aren't you? You know when everything's wrong, you know when all these things, when you need a change in your life, the worst thing you could do is just to hear this and walk away and say, wow, that was, uh, that was about 45 minutes. That was a really cool story. That was weird. Whatever you would say. That'd be the worst thing you could do. The best thing you could do is ask some serious questions and say, how do I get in the way of God's blessing? I mean, what does this mean to me? What is the, what is the, 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 the dirty closet in your life that you don't want anyone else to see? What is it? The only you think you have the key to that closet. It's where you hold all the things that you don't want anyone else to see. All the secrets that you try and keep. Maybe you just need to open the door up. Take the door off the hinges and just invite God in. That'd be the good way to start. Getting blessing in that area. Being honest with God. Not trying to keep things from God. Because He sees everything anyway. He knows you know, it's, it's funny when people, when you, when you have an opportunity um, 
to confess things before God, and, and yet many of us are like the little toddler who, who think we're hiding from our parents, but we just like go under our bed and we put our, our hands and our heads like this, and I'm not going to go on the ground and do it, but, you know, and you kind of put your head under the bed and yet the rest of you sticking out. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody have kids who've done that? Yeah, we're like that. And we think, you know what, this sin is all mine. It is, I, either you enjoy it or you don't enjoy it, but you haven't asked God to bless it. You haven't had, asked God to redeem it. And yet you keep it all to yourself and you look as foolish as that toddler who just has his head under his bed and he thinks that nobody sees him. It's about that foolish. I want us to be in the way of God's blessing. I want your marriages to be blessed by God. I want your just not just your marriage, it's all of your relationships. I want your, your work life to be blessed by God, no matter what it is that you do. I, I want us as, as a church and as people to, to be compelling to the world that's around us so we don't look like everybody else, that we look like Jesus. But we have to get in the way of that blessing. So Solomon, he prays, God responds by sending fire into the temple. Then there's some time later, in chapter 7, verse 11. This is not the the direct sequence. There's some time that has lapsed between the events of chapter 6 and what I'm going to read from chapter 7. Verse 11 says this, chapter 7. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. He says in verse 13, God responds to Solomon. He says, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among the people, verse 14 Get this, church. Get this. God responds, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, God says, will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's heavy. You want to get in the way of God's blessing? God tells you how in one verse. He says, if my people, just assume that there's 70% of Americans are, are actually born again Christians, followers of Jesus in the truest sense. And just imagine, if you would, if it, if it is 70% or whatever percent you want, to be, uh, you want to be close to that with. Just imagine if people in our country followed suit with the truth from this verse. That if my people, who are called by my name, Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, they would humble themselves and pray. They would pray for their marriages. They would pray for their classmates. They would pray for their kids. They would pray for their church leaders. They would pray for their their political leaders. They would maybe even pray for their enemies. If they would do that, Humble himself first, pray second. Third thing, he says, 
and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. So there's a, there's a turning. You can't continue to do the same sinful things that you've always done and expect a different result. You have to turn away from that. And if they would turn from their wicked ways, God says, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin individually and I will heal their land corporately. That's how you get in the way of God's blessing. And yet, to be honest with you, many of us, it, it seems so, so far out there to do that. It seems, it seems like it's so unapproachable. Like it would take so much work to actually do that. And to do, to do the hard work, you know, and understanding that the hardest work is the heart work. And do the cleansing in here. And it seems, sometimes it seems so far away, like, like there's no way you can come back to God because of all the things that you've done. I just want you to know, you cannot be too far from God if you just turn back to Him. Because if you turn back to Him and you create space for Him, He's there in an instant. If you confess your sins before Him and you ask Him for forgiveness of those sins, they are forgiven instantly. If you, if you ask for purpose in your life and you seek the Lord Jesus and you say, I don't understand why I'm going through this and I don't understand why this struggle is going on and I really wish I wasn't going through this right now, you know what? You may not have all those answers instantly, but He hears you and He will begin the process of restoring you instantly. Because if God's people will humble themselves and pray and they'll seek His face... He will hear from heaven and He will act on our behalf. That is a powerful truth. That is a powerful truth. I want us to be a people of blessing. I want us to be people who, who stop trying to be the answer to our own prayers. I want us to be a, a group of people who, who doesn't try just to be you know, the, the Lord and King of their own marriage. That they allow Jesus to be the Lord and king of their marriage i want us to be a group of people who would not only just have these students but a church that would welcome all these students to realize that the, that the answers that the culture gives to our, to the heart problem are null and void and the only answer to the problems of our culture and our society is found in jesus christ i want us to be the type of people who would sit back and say you know what i am simply exhausted i just need to go before almighty god and i know that he is my rest i'm going to stop trying to do everything myself and i'm going to stop trying to rely on everybody else but i'm just going to go before god and maybe for the very first time maybe for the tenth time maybe for the thirtieth time but you'd go before almighty god and say enough is enough i want to get in the way of that blessing that's what I want for us. Stop for a minute and think, if you were to get in the way of God's blessing, what would your life be like? Think about that. What would your life be like? What would your stress level be like? What would your relationships look like? What would your parenting skills look like? What would your financial situation look like? 
Because isn't that pretty much all the stresses that we have? What would that look like? But if we go before Almighty God, we'll humble, humble ourselves and we'll pray and we'll seek the face of God. He will heal our sin and He will heal our land as a country. See, that is the beginning to revolution. That's the beginning. Because that is, the, that is the precursor to all the change that you want. That you have to get in the way of God's blessing. And my hope, my desire is that this revolution would be stirring up in you. And hopefully it has been for the last five weeks. And that this revolution within your soul would bring healing to your whole fill in the blank. I believe God's big enough. The question is, are we going to become small enough?